me howling at the moon. I'm ready. Okay, we're doing this thing. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Ruby Hour. I have the amazing John Barnhart. John, you're here. I'm right here. You're in the flesh. I made it. I you know. can't believe it. You are sitting in my jerry-rigged <laughs> set, and we're about to talk some shop. Um, so for I always like to connect the dots between who I know you as in our community and then anything else you want to expand upon. So um, you are an amazing cinematographer, uh, person of the video world that I have followed enjoyed what you're putting out in the world um for like a long fucking time so i appreciate that i uh i've been super pumped to be able to talk shop with you and dive into uh you've been doing this for a while i've been doing it for a long time i just, well I, I went to school at colorado state in, in fort collins i got an english degree with a poetry focus which got me a sweet bar back and job at <laughs> lucky joe's <laughs> so okay. it didn't really didn't really mm-hmm. didn't really get me any kind of film thing i came out here and then uh, at like 20, 25, I was running teleprompter at Channel 4. And I just Shout worked, out to Channel 4. I just kind of worked my way up. I eventually started teaching at like 27 at yeah. Trident Tech. I taught there for 12 years. So it's been kind of a crazy journey. And through all that, I did various video projects and actually uh, taught 16 and 35 millimeter film. So I did a lot of 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter projects back in the day when it was hard to get your hands on like all the digital cameras we shoot with now and it just kind of started growing and you know I've always been a, f- a student of film my dad was like a photographer he's an engineer for Lockheed and Boeing and up in Seattle and he always had a camera around his you know his body and I was mm-hmm. like one day we went and saw the Road Warrior in 1981 <laughs> summer of 81 and I walked out of the theater and my head was down and he's like yo what's wrong man and I was like man that movie was awesome and he's like yeah it was great and I was like I want to make movies when I get older and my dad was like good and then he just fed me movies mm-hmm. he's like we're going to see this we're going to see that and we you know and then he would just feed me old movies Apocalypse Now and Godfather and Taxi Driver and all these amazing films that people are still kind of borrowing from today you know so it's like my aesthetic was already set I think because of my father of what I wanted to do and so when I had a chance to get behind a camera, I just kind of dove right into it. I eat, breathe, and drink film and television, and I still do that, and I haven't stopped. It's kind of tiring, <laughs> so it's but it's good. But that's how I approach everything. You know, I'm a, I still I'm a student of cinema, I think, and and I just kind of apply it to the digital world. So. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I think that I mean my background and from you know, my own getting to know you, what's inspired me about your life is I came into documenting moments purely from a, I just wanted to document shit. I wasn't thinking about the composition. It was just, I want to remember this. And so I've been really challenged by your awareness of I think a cinematic aesthetic. That's something that has been a real muse thing. And um, I'm I'm doing all these rotations with different creative outlets in my life. And I have to tell you, whenever I interacted with you the first time and was like, yeah, this guy, like, fucking, I'm inspired. I was like, I've been fucking around with charcoals, but I loved this scene behind us from Secret, Secret Life of Walter Mitty 
where it's the you know it's he sees the snow snow leopard and he pauses and he's like i don't the camera can take away from the moment and he doesn't take the picture and I was like, that's fucking John. That's like your trajectory of. Yeah, I had a moment like that. So I did a wildlife TV. I still do the show. It's just with everything going on, we're on kind of a delay. But I did a wildlife TV show with, uh, it's called Born to Explore with Richard Weiss. And Richard and I, he's the president of the Explorers Club. We co-created the show together. And then he kind of became the executive producer. And we traveled the world chasing animals. And I had a moment. We had a moment. It was right when this movie came out. We were doing the gorillas in Uganda. And we were like, dude, let's do that Sean Penn thing where we don't shoot and stuff. <laughs> so it was kind of cool. And But I, you know, I spent a lot of time chasing animals like that Sean Penn character in Secret Life of Walter Mitty. So, and where they shot it, we did a whole show on Iceland and stuff. But dude. you know, with cinema, I think that knowing your cinematographers or your DPs or whatever they're calling themselves um, in the movies is important if you want to be that you know you got to study that you can't you can't be a writer and not know who Hemingway is you don't have to like Mm -hmm. Hemingway but you have to read his books or something you know so it's like if you're calling yourself a DP or a cinematographer you you have to watch a movie and know the DP you know Mm -hmm. and I think you have to know the director you can't just dial things in you got to know the technical parts and so when you approach something you're always kind of approaching it with some kind of cinematic grammar even if it's a interview or if it's a mm. a tech video or something where you're like man this thing's kind of going to be super boring but maybe you can approach it just a hair differently to make it more visually pleasing i think you know so and i think you got to study the film i had a lacrosse coach in high school i said how do you become the best lacrosse player and he said you eat breathe and drink lacrosse and what he was saying is that you you know you practice as much as you can and you dream about it and you watch videos VHS tapes at the time on different players and then you kind of adapt that into your your aesthetic as a athlete and I kind of just applied that to film <laughs> as like I'm just gonna study all the time and apply what I learn to when I shoot you know so if I was gonna shoot like a food segment I would watch and I talk to a client and they say oh, I want it to look like chef's table or you know anthony bourdain or something i'll watch all those so that aesthetic is in my head when i'm shooting and then i'll you know so it's you know i I don't consider it work i kind of consider it just kind of an extension of who i am at all times you know i'll Mm. talk about film with anybody Mm. i'll help anybody with cameras you know i think i'm a teacher first and so i will set aside time to help anyone out with any questions because i think that's important too it's like because i don't think people take enough time to just kind of unload their whole philosophy or technical aspects they always try to hoard them so no yes. one's better than them You're like i don't want to show yeah. you how i lit that yeah. yeah yeah fuck that you just gotta you know turn it yes people, you know? well and i i love that i'm glad that you just mentioned that because it is I always think it's that it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one is exponential when it comes to collaborating with fellow creatives. And yeah, the whole stockpiling like, well, I'm not going to tell you like what I, what LUTs I'm using or I'm not going to let you know how I got. It's like, why? Yeah, I mean, it's I think that's short, 
shortchanging somebody because I think what you could do, the biggest thing you could do, I think, I don't know, I might be wrong, but what I've learned with traveling and this is that your only job as an artist, and I don't even really consider myself an artist at all. I can't draw. I can't Whatever paint. we've talked about, this is such. I can't yeah. sculpt. Mm-hmm. Like I could do those little stick figures, and if you flip through it, I could do like flips and stuff, and that's pretty sick. But like, I think your only job is to inspire somebody. Mm-hmm. And I had this one, my friend Alex Boyd's dad. We were sitting around, and he was like, "As an artist, your only job is to observe and report, whatever that is." <gasps> Wow. And that's if he and he was like seventy five when he said it, and he's pointing at me as like if I was your age, I'm like, dude, I'm not young, man. I'm like, I was at forty five at the time, and he's like, if I knew it at your age, I'd be in a better place than I am now. <laughs> and it's, I think that whatever your medium is, is like, as long as you're observing and reporting and inspiring people, then I think that's it's Damascus steel over. You know, regular steel. It's the best thing you could possibly do mm. to another artist and for yourself. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and not have that jealousy or like afraid someone's going to take your job. That's stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't think that. That's yeah. the wrong way. You'll you'll lose integrity if you are like, no, I'm not going to show you my blah. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're a total dick. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, well, and it's, and it's like, yeah, it's, um, it's small it's small energy it's it's like you're gonna because what happens when it comes around and they might have something that you can glean from with one another um tell me about a project that whether it was i mean i feel like you'll probably identify with this of some of the greatest work that we create as visual storytellers some of that might not have picked up and taken off but it might have intrinsic value to you Tell me about a project you've done that was like a soul piece for you. Um, it's so my father, who's passed, was uh, he was like slipping up in his last couple of years of life, you know, and he was living in a motel up in Seattle, and he had lived there for like ten years. He was like that guy, you know, and he would do the maintenance and fix the the thing you know the whatever the coke machine or whatever and then there's this girl named elaine who owned the hotel and my dad was in love with her and he kept telling me i don't know how to tell her that i'm in love with her so me and my buddies um there's like these two film groups that started off like kind of there there's the seamless picture guys with like owen hamilton and barrett and then there was like Barnfly Productions and Butcher Media, and we were all friends, but we were su- super competitive. And so, like, we were pumping out short movies as fast as we could just to see who was going to do it. And it was like a really cool thing because it was mad respect, but we were pumping out a movie a month. If, it, if we weren't doing a movie, Seamless was doing a movie. And, and Dave Smith with Butcher Media at the time was kind of Barnfly and Butcher. And so, I was like, I got to figure out a way to tell my dad. It was my turn to write a movie. I was like, I'm going to write a movie. I'm going to send it to my dad and I'm going to send it to Elaine so they know that the, how they feel about it. And I wrote a movie called Dust and I shot it in this motel room about a guy who hasn't connected with his kid. And then the Elaine character helps him reconnect with his kid. And he's living, he's a hoarder. He lives in this motel and 
Um, I sent it to my dad. He's like, that's the best thing. That's And it was, you know, it was pretty, I mean, it was a reality check for my dad. And it was probably pretty hard for him to watch because it was like him. I mean, the character was named James. And that's my dad's name. So it was like a real throw in the face, like you're hoarding stuff. <laughs> but then I sent it to Elaine and she called me and she's like, is your dad lonely? I was like, yeah, he just can't tell you. And, and my dad said it was like the best thing that ever happened to him. And then... You know, then he passed away, but we did the movie before he passed away. So it was, it, you know, that meant a lot to me. And I didn't make any kind of money or anything off of that. It was just like a cool collaboration. Somebody gave us a motel for like three days to shoot in. And I don't know, it was, it was a maybe the, one of the more meaningful projects I had just because it was about my father. And it was kind of calling him out, but it was also kind of trying to connect these two people. It was, it was cool. That was like one of, that's probably the most meaningful project I've ever done just because of who was involved, not just the film crew, but that it was about my father, mm. who was like my biggest influence in my life. You mm. know? So that would be the one project, I think. So among many, but that's the one that's like top tier. Yeah. With why, why you're supposed to do this, you know? So you know, chasing wildlife, I was going to be. I'm gonna be a Nat Geo photographer. Yeah, the Nat Geo dream. And then it, it was more about seeing how broken some of these places are, and mm. I became more of an environmentalist because you're seeing firsthand of how the climate is just falling apart. I mean, mm. just completely collapsing on culture and animals and stuff. So that show also became worth a little more after you got over the the ego of Nat Geo photographers. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it became like a little more. Meaningful and stuff. So mm. I think through that show, I became like an, a full-fledged environmentalist. Yeah, I think I'm, and I'm not like ooh, I'm not like protesting or nothing. But yeah. I saw it firsthand enough to where it changed my perspective on what we're doing as people <laughs> to the planet. You know, so mm. so those two things probably. So well, and just that's blah blah blah. That's what I feel like I'm just blowing around just spitting out garbage <laughs> you know? so. I think I think that I think both of those snapshots of one was the why you do what you do when it comes to film and you were able to say something and bring two people in your world that you cared about you were able to be a catalyst or maybe in a thesaurus definition catalyst would be to inspire so yeah. that's really beautiful um and yeah the the animal wildlife side of that it's one thing to just take amazing content of wow this was so cool whatever but then if there's no soul behind it that has intrinsic connection yeah. um you shared a story with me of uh you were able to hang out and be a part of a, a really cool ceremony yeah uh, um so we so i've been i've done africa i think 18 or 19 times and every if you haven't been to africa if you haven't been to africa <laughs> go to africa because it will change you it'll change you every time mm -hmm. it's amazing so we did a story we're going to climb up we climbed kilimanjaro and the porters pray good and godfrey were maasai warriors and they spoke Swahili and we had five days and some, you know, some of those, it isn't like super dangerous sometimes. It's actually, it's really, you just a mental challenge because you're, 
you're just walking, you know, and you're like, I'm going insane. Like, how far do you walk? It would be like get up at like seven and you walk till seven, but you're going so slow, the pulley pulley, because they don't want you to, because the altitude and yeah, and they don't know when people are going to start falling out, so you're just walking really slow. Wow. And Whoa. and they have it all timed out, but my two my two porters were with me the whole time, and so we we were trading like how do you say this in Swahili and how do you say this, and so the whole way up, and I learned a little a little of it, not nothing too crazy, but after. Kilimanjaro we were going to go to this Maasai village and, and uh, our guide um, I was there and, and, and I, I said something to the chief and I was said it in Swahili and then the chief came up to our guide and I was like did I say something that offended him he's like no he was really appreciative that you're trying to speak his communicate th- through Swahili with him and he's wondering if you will sacrifice the goat for the the, the dinner ceremony or something and I was like, all right, well, I mean, if the chief's asking you to kill, I've never killed anything. It's going to kill like a fish. And I think I ran over a squirrel once, but I'm nothing like too insanely like killing a goat. And I'm like, you know what? All right, let's do this. So um, I went to breakfast with Weiss and, you know, Weiss is like this well-traveled. He's been everywhere, all seven continents. He's one of my mentors. And you know, he hung with JFK Jr. That was his roommate in Brown. He's just real interesting. And he's like, listen, it's going to be messy. So you got to wear a white T-shirt because that's the only way you're going to see how crazy it is. And then they and they said that the camera crew couldn't go there so that Weiss is eating breakfast. And he's like, I'll see you in a couple hours. They drive me out to the village. And it's like five Maasai, Maasai warriors. They're making shoes out of like tires. That's like sandals. And it was real quick. Chief rolls in. They move me over by this tree with all these gourds, like, hanging from them. Like, well, I don't know. So then I was like, all right, cool, gourds or whatever. In Africa, this is how it goes. And then they bring out the goat, and the thing knows it's going down, right? And I'm like, all right, you got to go 100%. All right. And so I did what grabbed, they grabbed its head. And I was like, all right, give me the knife. I was like, it's going to be a machete. It's got to be something that's like smaller than the knife I had. I'm like, man, okay, yeah. And I held it, <sighs> cut it, and then they put those gourds underneath the blood or to catch all the blood. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, must be doing something with that. And then after they took the goat away, we they, we drank the blood. Like that was like a thing. They're like, mm-hmm. so I drank some of the blood. Mm, all before breakfast, right? It was all like, yeah, within like forty-five minutes. I mean, I rolled in, boom, blood, and then they, car, you know, like while I was drinking the blood, they did cut a little piece of some. I think it was a heart. It could have been something else, and then I ate that with, like, right out of the goat with these guys. And yeah, I, it was like body temperature so for yeah. a while I thought I was chewing on my tongue and mm-hmm. it was like ugh, you know it was, but I understood and then the chief said something to our guide and I said what do you say he said if you ever fail in America you have a place to stay here and I was like well that's cool if I knew where I was like if I could find this again <laughs> if I could come back here so then I, I drop a pin yeah. so then I rolled back and Weiss is just finishing up breakfast and I'm like covered in blood and he just kind of looks at me with his like he's super cool guy and he goes looks like it went pretty well and then he ate his egg and then we went off the shoot but it was just kind of this really crazy and then later we would go back and they had prepared the goat and they don't waste any of the animal like they use the bones and 
like I was that's what I kept asking like I'm not just doing this for like show or something they're like no we're this is it's either you or these guys gonna kill it and they're gonna eat it and they don't waste anything Mm -hmm. they don't throw away anything so Mm -hmm. it was crazy but I've had a couple of those with that show it's like when you're around these kind of super cultured places and they ask you to do something you just you know they bring you a bull mapani worms in Namibia you eat them and then you deal with it later when you (laughs) serve the worms you eat the worms that's right and you just head down eyes closed (laughs) but it's like stuff like that that you just got to kind of roll with you know so yeah like i was in this village in arviat and it was like uh, all these which where is arviat i don't really know but it's like above it's like in the arctic like, Ooh. it's in, like, Canada if you kept going, like... Okay, right. so it's real fucking cold. It's really... All right, it's so the it's coldest cold. I've ever been. It's icy. Okay. It's icy. It's... And there's this, like, you rolled into this place, and there's, like... You know, they eat seals, right? Because of... Yeah. A pile of seals and caribou and stuff. And they're like, hey, you want some caribou? I'm like, sweet, dude. We'll grill. Maybe there's some salt and pepper. This is going to be delicious. And then he's like, well, come on outside. And he just cut a piece out of the caribou. Mm. Cold. Yeah. And we ate it. And how it was, was it it was it was weird because i'd like thawed out i'd like it was so cold frozen yeah and i'd like let it sit in my mouth before like mm. but you know yeah um, it was it was it was all right it was just kind of yeah it's a very novel unexpected you know but, yeah that's not normal it's like taking a piece of meat that's gently thawed out of your freezer and, and then, then just, just popping it in there yeah, and finishing the thaw out with your breath or something yeah you know? But that's where I first we we did polar bear there, so we like flew from Arviat. I don't know where we flew to because we just landed in this ice field, and they had all these little shipping containers with the polar bear fence, and that's the first time. Were you was the camp essentially the shipping containers? Was that that where was it? It was like eight of them with a polar bear fence around it. One was what like, is a polar bear fence? I think it's just this electrical. It's like a bear. A, the only reason I said polar bears because that's where we were, but like it's like a bear fence, like it's just yeah. electrical lines up, okay. so the bear doesn't charge you. But they're so big, I'm like, why is this bear not like gonna just jump over that fence? Yeah. It's like a little, it's like this big. Oh, and and that's the first time I saw like where I realized climate change, climate change is as real as everyone is saying. Mm-hmm. You know, because you read about it, but when you see it firsthand, it's completely different. And the ice doesn't freeze, so the polar bear have to eat some amazing amount of calories a day, like 20,000, and the ring seal has that. And they can't get to the ice to get to the ring seal, so the polar bear is thin or going into villages and going into garbages. Yeah. So it's like, but it was it was cool. That's definitely the my favorite animal, I think, out of all of the ones I've seen the, polar bear and we did the silverback gorillas which was crazy too just because we're so close to them i mean like right by by the camera you know so with the silverback gorillas you know it's like okay that sounds cool but like i always wonder as a guy behind a camera was there mosquitoes were there flies like what was the climate like when you're sitting there it's like super humid like more humid than the south it's like and it's it's jump it's like a it's jungle. We, I think we were in. I know we were in Uganda, but at some I think at some point we were bouncing between Rwanda and Uganda. But I think when we saw the girls, we were in Uganda. Okay. And it's like you know steep hills and jungle. We were sweating, and 
any wild animal at once. I was in Australia once and the guy's like, do you smell that? And it's like musty. Yeah. And he's like, that's an animal. Once you know that smell, you could smell other animals. It's this musty fur, whatever. Yeah. Musky. Yeah. That's but, yeah. And we were going through the jungle and you could smell the gorillas. And they're like running around you and stuff. What? And then there was flies around the gorillas and it was just hot. You know, I mean, it was just really super hot. But it was like you're in this like, it just you're in a very rare moment and you just kind of suck it up but it's like any what you imagine like a jungle would be is like that's how it felt you know mm. like just noises it's like the scene from and it's in a totally different place but the first scene of raiders of the lost ark with all the bird noises and all this and all that and yeah it was a lot like that and there would be you just hear something run by you and it's a four or five hundred pound gorilla you know so that's crazy did anybody like shit their pants on that trip of just like just being like shocked or being like oh god like i feel like i would we got bluff charged by this one silverback what does that mean for people that aren't silverback experts well like bears do it a lot of animals do it just to like kind of let you know that you're not really running the show so it like comes around the corner and it like snarled its teeth and i was like i think i was tired or something i was like Man, that thing looks just like the way he's hitting the ground. Looks like Peter Jackson's King Kong. They really did it right in the Hollywood movies. And then it like started moving towards him. Like it's, I think it's bluff charging us. I'm like, the movie's got it right. And I'm like, wait a minute, that thing's gonna like punch me. And I'm like, this is gonna hurt. That's all I said. And then it turned like four feet in front of me, and I felt this like thing in my shoulder, like a claw. And I looked back, and we. I was like, we should, we, we almost died, man. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like in front of you. I almost, I almost <laughs> died. And then the, we had a bunch of these military guys around us or like guides through the jungle. And one of the Ugandans made this noise and like made this grunting noise and the gorilla did it back to him. And he's like, all right, you're cool here. And I was like, did you guys just like, Pow-wow. did you just got interspecies communication? And it, the gorilla just sat like, four feet in front of us and we were able to get all this like a mate and didn't move you know i used weiss as a tripod i was like lean down wow. put your shoulder there and we got wow. like this like amazing footage and that was about the in my mind the bluff charge probably is a lot more crazy than it than it actually was but sure. it was like something i've never seen before yes you know, so. oh my gosh and you just we just hopped right on them like we didn't like go oh there they are we rolled around a corner and there's 12 like and are babies. they all so like what were Not they a, um, you know the thing is i can't remember what they but it there was a couple of silverbacks and a couple okay. regular ones like yeah. i don't know what they're their crew yeah. of... and then they're like the little babies and stuff oh. so it was kind of it was nuts and then you come out of that and you're like you know it was hard to come back from some of those trips because like i remember so i live in park circle and i go to a bar and and they'd be like, what did you do yesterday? And I'm like, you know, chasing gorillas in Uganda. And they're like, what? Like, no, it's like hard to talk about yeah. it. Cause no, it's like such a strange thing because mm. no one was there to see it, you know? And that's what was cool about the show is that after people see the show, then they could kind of connect. Because I know how grateful and fortunate I was to be in these areas. Mm. And I knew I, I didn't deserve it. And I didn't, but I was there and it, i think it was my job to make sure when if people watch a show 
that they felt like they were there mm. so that they could kind of connect with these animals or like maybe feel like the way I felt. So, and that was very important to the whole Born to Explore crew is that the audience needs to connect to places that maybe they can't go or maybe they want to go and they think they can't. Mm. So that was sort of our underlying kind of uh, the subtext of our show is like to make sure the people, that the audience felt like they were with us. So. I don't know if we realize that like right off the rip, but like down the road, we were like, do we do these things? Cause we're in these, like we're with the orangutans or with the cheetahs or like no one's getting to do this very often. Mm. And so it was cool. Super it was novel. Rough. It was like, it was like kind of gnarly sometimes. And sometimes it was like super bougie, you know, it was like five star hotels in Morocco or hammocks in, you know, Belize. It was like, you didn't know where, or tents in, you know, it's, it, you never knew where you were going to kind of deal with it. And you just had to kind of roll with it. And I don't think it was built for everybody. So it's like kind of a tough with all the gear and everything. It gets kind of mentally tiresome, you know, <laughs> but it was cool. It sounds like that's something you live for, though. You personally. Uh, get, like wear myself out. to <laughs> Wear yourself tired. out. Go <laughs> perpetually. uh moving um being around different stimulus sounds like that's kind of your jam yeah i i don't know i mean i like moving you know so like i think my parents were divorced my dad was in seattle my mom was in denver so i was never in one place until the first time be like pre three years old the first time i was in one place for a full year was when i was 20. <laughs> so i'm always was bouncing back and forth and I think that was created a restless kind of person I think like where if I'm in one place I've got to move you know and right now I'm splitting my time between Fort Collins Colorado and Charleston so I'm doing it I'm moving because of COVID or whatever I can't move as much as I used to yes you know? I mean, yes and so I think that I'm creating the movement to re-inspire myself mm. or just to not seem complacent. Yeah, stoke I, and the not, fire. And I'm not saying that that if you stay in one place that oh sure. you're living a complacent life. But for me, mm-hmm. I'll I'll fall into complacency, and I I don't I think if I'm moving I won't. And I'm always chasing projects too. I'm like you know going project. To, I'm chasing work. Mm. What do you mean by that? Are you seeking out? shoot ideas of like that would be really freaking cool and then you seek out how to so it's like i could say 50, it's like 60 40 60 percent are clients i've already had like oh I'll do this but some of that 40 percent is like hey I, I got an idea let's go do this and like do that i'm doing this project in fort collins and it's all music based and for all music and art based in fort collins and my buddy Kevin Kirchner, he does this thing called the Magnolia Sessions, and we we shoot these videos for these bands, and we try to do one a month. And I mean, we're not getting paid; it's just something we do, mm-hmm. and it's something. It's one of my favorite projects I work on. And then with Kevin um, and this guy named Aaron from University of Denver, we're doing a project on the Blasting Room, a documentary on them, which is like where most of the punk bands, if you're old like me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> record all their albums. The Descendants, uh, Rise Against records there. I mean, Black Flag and The Descendants are connected, but like all 
uh, Drag the River, all those bands kind of record all their albums there. And so we're interviewing all the bands that did that. And Bill Stevenson, the drummer from um, Black Flag and the Descendants, started the studio. It's his studio. And I always kind of refer to him as like the Dr. Dre producer of punk rock. Because like if you're a punk band and you're that, you go to you go to the blasting room. And so it's a really cool thing to be involved with. And it's no money right now. It's all back in. We're going to do like a GoFundMe or something. But just to be around these guys that are so like into their craft, like the Rise Against guys, the way like Tim and all those all those guys, the way they the way they take the time to dial in their songs is like I'm, I learn a lot. Like man, I should do that with my movies or something because they're they're so professional. Mm. And then they, we get to follow Rise Against, like we get backstage at Red Rocks and shoot the bands with them and stuff. So I'm living someone else's dream, I think, because I'm like yes. I know Big those time. guys, but like, you know, and I like the music, but I'm not like a hardcore, like punk rocker, you yeah. know? So, but, and that's all for free and all art. And I do some stuff like my buddies own uh, I'm, this place called Music City Hot Chicken in Fort Collins. Like, it's Nashville Hot Chicken and do a bunch of videos for them just for fun. And my friend Coco owns like this art studio and we do some stuff with our art. I mean, it's just like, those are the cool, pro those are like the projects I'm like, pitching like, yeah like yo let's do something on your the hottest chicken around or the dumplings you know and then we just kind of do those and then yeah. those usually lead to other yeah like hey i saw your music city video do you let's do, do lawyer videos yes and, you know so yes. it's like sometimes you gotta mm. work creates work so if you if you're you're like i want to do a food show right well go and find a chef that's like we'll cook you a meal and shoot shoot a little thing on him and, and then you have something for your resume or your your instagram that might get you a, a gig or something you know mm -hmm. so those are the cool projects yeah those are soul soul, soul feeding. projects yeah and so. oh i love that i know that's i i definitely resonate with um like the this last year we did the fragile project and you know music video supporting women creative depiction of covid whatever and yeah it was like that was something that you know i spent money to be able to produce and coordinate and you know it was like it hit it it checked the boxes on my hit by the bus theory of if i get hit by a bus tomorrow did the work that i do today and the way i spent my time was it worthwhile it's like that was one of those projects where it's like yes this is why yeah. I have this lifetime and I'm in the position I'm in and yeah there's been so much um beyond it translating to business I have made I have made three soul friends that saw that project fell in love with the why behind it and it's kind of a fast track to finding kindred energy with people um that's so cool of just picking the things that feed your soul yeah, and that, like with what you're saying about the why is like sometimes if you do this for a living, which is hard, and anyone that's doing any kind of freelancer, independent person that's doing anything, you know, if it's commissioning art or graffiti or any anything that's like mm -hmm. that, it's hard. And at some point, it almost starts to become about money. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, I got to oh, keep yeah. the lights on. I'm gonna have to go and shoot this car yep. commercial. Nothing yep. against car commercials, sure. but like, yeah, but. You got to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? And if you can get four or five projects a year 
where it answers that why question, then I think you're mm. doing okay. Mm. You're doing better than okay. Those will be the projects you remember. It's like my buddy Kevin, when we shoot the Magnolia session, he usually does it by himself. So when I'm there and we're doing it together, I could see that it's like re it, that he appreciates me being there so much, and that's worth more money than anything. Is like one, we're helping out musicians. Two, he always buys me like some drinks and some tacos. Okay. Afterwards, I'll we'll work, work for tacos. I'll work for tacos, man. No, no. What about corn dogs? I could work for. I probably do that, but I would if I was like that. Would I don't know if they're gonna get like. <laughs> They're not going to get the production if it's taco. I'm a taco uh, guy. Okay. All right. Well. But I'm down with corn dogs. You know. You know? But I don't put corn. I will mustard. work for corn dogs. You put ketchup on your corn dog? Uh, no. Like this no. chapter in my life. Yeah. I don't more think of that's a mustard. A good idea. Coleman's mustard if I could request good, a good. particular. Yeah, you never put ketchup on hot dogs. Uh, blasphemous. Me and my buddy Tim McManus, he owns Head High Media. Yeah. When pre-COVID, we're talking about opening a hot dog situation in this little room and head high <laughs> and we hot but, dogs and, s- and badass and, videos yeah, and, then we just, and we decided that you can't have if you come in and you order a hot dog with ketchup we were going to make a sign that just had a just pointing outside that said you just gotta, get out yeah you gotta just go. get out yeah yeah but it, you know that still might be in the works you know mm-hmm. but i do appreciate a good hot dog though you know but yeah. i'm a taco guy man okay all right so actually, you'll work- a taco problem Oh. I eat tacos all the time. Oh, no. And, yeah. What was the last, what's your fav- most recent favorite taco that you had? The Juan Luis, man. John Lewis is crushing the taco game. <sighs> and, um, when I'm in Colorado, I just think about Juan Luis tacos all the time. And I'm like, that is the first thing I'm doing when I get back. And I'll actually get my flight to come in early so I could catch the tacos before... So you're building your flight itinerary around, around Juan Luis tacos. Juan yeah. Luis tacos. I like Yobo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cantina's like their their tacos are pretty good. Okay. Because they kind of specialty make them for me because me and the owner Cat are really good buds, mm-hmm. and so those are pretty good. Uh, I have these business meetings at Taco Spot with my buddy Ted. And I usually eat too many tacos. Oh. And one time I was eating three tacos for lunch. Okay. And then not telling anybody. And then I would go back at like mid-afternoon and somewhere else. I was eating, I was averaging about nine tacos a day, which was bad. That's a, that's a taco I had to, habit. I had to cut off tacos. John. I was getting, I was getting, I was getting a little chubby. There might be, there might be like a support community uh, for taco God, eaters anonymous. So. I hope so. I would. Maybe I'll start that. Start it. I know a couple people that I think would. Uh, we can all meet at Juan Luis and talk. Sit around. Is, have you been there? Have you had? No, any? I. I'm, you need to it's get. It's gonna that. be in the show notes, but um, put them in the show notes, man. Yeah. Like they make their own corn tortillas. Like they grind and he's, the corn. He's a Texas. He's Austin, or no? He's actually El, El Paso. Paso. But yeah. He, yeah, but he worked in Austin. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the best in town. Actually, Dave Schutenberg. Kwai Fei makes some pretty mean uh, tacos too. Yeah, but he's like his his food is awesome. I love like I'm somehow thrusted into the food thing in Charleston. So like I head high, we used to do all the wine and food content. So I know all those chefs and stuff. And then um, I'm doing a bunch of stuff for Eater, and we just did a piece on John Lewis. That's how I know how his, his process of yeah. his tacos. You know? Yeah, and then we got free tacos, man. And, we'll know, work for tacos. I will. I will um, for sure. Talk to me of the 
How would you describe, I mean, we, we just kind of touched on it, of the, the, the creative, the contractor, you know, as um, a filmmaker, cinematographer, whatever you call it, the person who stands behind the camera and hustles to create, you know, we create work for ourselves. How would you describe sort of the work-life cycle and the headspace that works for you to be sustaining yourself through a couple decades of doing this? Like my process to get the work or my process just, to kind of... Just your, I mean, like I can think of there's certain times of the year when I know when it's feasting and when it's more, a little more skinny and there's a certain like headspace to get through that. For me, what does your headspace feel like? Um, I am... I spend most of my Mondays and Tuesdays, if I'm not shooting, on the phone calling clients or pitching things or talking to old clients and seeing where they're at. I do that a, a lot. And i also pretty socially active on mostly Instagram, mm-hmm. you know, but I've gotten a lot of gigs from Instagram and I try to get it out there, show my work, that I'm working, you know, and I'm pretty tied in with the film community here, so I'm always keeping my eye out and going and I try not to have too many down months so if i know it's like all right i know that june's pretty dry just like the way it works i also know november and december is Mm -hmm. the two super dry months for this industry so i'll let's just we'll take november and december i'll stack a massive amount of shoots for you know september october august september october to where i where i'll tell them like and then I'll just be editing through those dry months. Yeah. So it's like, cool. I'm trying to keep, when I know the dry months are coming, that it's just an editing month. So I'm still working and I'm still on the phone calling, but I'm still moving forward and that's where I'll edit. So that's sort of what I'm doing with Colorado is I, I come here, I've been here for two and a half weeks. I've had two days off. I've shot the whole time, but it's very deliberate. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go back to Colorado and then I'll edit. Yes. And that gives me a chance to like, be pulled away from Charleston to where I'm not splitting my time. It's edit, edit focus and music focused. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm like, and then I'll set up all this work and I'll come back here and do it. And that sort of seems to be working. Cool. And I think if you have a window, like if you're available, like I'm available the 8th through the 20th, that you'll find that more people will f- try to, they'll be, they'll pay more attention of you'll get more work yeah instead of saying like yeah i'll just take whatever i do that too i'll take whatever certain certain gigs but i try to always always be working yeah even if it's like well i got a couple down days i could let me go through these old videos or let me you know i got a couple projects i always i'm editing i did a movie in fort collins i'm in the color process right now so there's always things that i could be doing or working on yeah you know um I'm never burn a bridge, and if I have, it was uh, unintentional, and you know, I think I burned too many. But if I have, it's that, and then, um, and I always keep in touch with like my, my mentors, like Tim McManus, uh, Dean Stevens from Channel Four, Richard Weiss, all these mm-hmm. people, where I could talk and we could bounce ideas and see what's going on next, you know, mm-hmm. and so, and just have a bunch of stuff in the, in the wheelhouse, you know, yeah, like, and throw as much against the wall and see what sticks. So if you mm-hmm. want two gigs a month you probably have to pitch it say 14 times and then when you get better with your pitch you'll get more gigs with pitching less you know and i think um 
I have a couple really like clients that I've had for five or six years. That I have MUSC, I have D Norton, Low Country Advocacy Center, and I have um, the Eater thing, and then I do the Charleston Home Showcase show, and all those are like my base. It allows yeah. me to do other yeah projects or or the like the super and they're not saying those aren't creative because they all are but yeah. like the ones where i'm like oh this is like yeah my this is like more of a movie or a music video or something like that and, yeah and stuff and so i think if you just keep working and you don't have downtime well, unless you like everybody needs downtime yeah you need to chill you know yeah. you need to do something but yes. like if you're if it's a work day and you're like just do something that that's when you could be creative mm-hmm. like that's when you could write your script or that's when you could like what you're doing working on your charcoal it seems like you're you're doing it right here i mean some of your art is amazing mm-hmm. and it looks like it takes a lot of time that's what you fill those things yeah with. because that'll help you when you have to grind out work yeah you're already in that mode it's like uh if you play sports or something i was a big skateboarder right that's all i did really colorado skateboarded and snowboarded and i played lacrosse i was like no headspace for anything but if i was not on my skateboard for a week it would take me a few it would take me a whole day or two to get back into yes. doing the tricks and that's the yes. same with camera stuff it's yes. the same with art it's the same with writing you can't be a writer if you're not writing every day mm-hmm. or at least showing up to the not the typewriter the typewriter sit your could butt be, in sit the chair for yeah four hours and if you have nothing at least you're showing up yeah there's some guy i forget his name steven pressfield I think his name, he I forget, I'm going to say it wrong, but it's like Neil Gaiman or something like okay. that. He said, um, I have to show up at the computer every day in case the characters show up. Yes. And so yes. I don't know if that's the name of the guy or I mispronounced it. But sure. like the idea is that if you're not at the the table writing or in, the, in your art studio or um, thinking about movies, I guess, you know, or being in that or surrounded mm-hmm. by that or shooting still pictures... Then when then you're gonna lose sort of uh, your momentum because mm-hmm. you'll have a creative spark. You'll I don't think creativity is like this. Mm-hmm. I think it, and I don't I think it's this is the struggle. But I also think it yeah you gotta ride the creative wave. So when it clicks yes you just roll with it yeah. and you gotta do it all the time. Yeah like if you're a writer and you're let's say you're trying to write a poem a day those first fifty two poems might be total garbage. Mm-hmm. But by somewhere in there, you're going to write 40 that are, like, unbelievable. Like, you're going to look at them and go, holy crap, I didn't even know mm-hmm. I had that in. I mean, it's because you did the work. Mm-hmm. You know? You got to do the work. I no love, matter what. I love thinking of it as I, whenever I'm holding, um, like, I call it the creative tension. You know, whenever I'm in the middle of producing a project, and I want to circle back around with you of how do you maintain the creative hold for projects that are from maybe you shot them three months ago or like you know this ongoing documentary how the heck do you cultivate the ethos around it but the thing that has been supportive to me that I think of is I'm entitled to the labor not the fruit of the labor and that keeps me my energy in check of when I want to go oh well I did this thing and it was great and um, yeah everybody look it's like until 
It's like, no, I don't get to like sit back and rest into that yet because I am entitled to sit my butt in front of my computer and open up Final Cut and go to work. Like that is my, that's my portion right now and honoring the ritual of it. And yeah, maybe it'll be great, but maybe not, but I'm still gonna, this is what I'm entitled to is the work. Yeah, you gotta, like my, my cousin is like a music prodigy in Seattle. He's older, and he but he goes into a studio. He built a, a studio, like a music studio, mm-hmm. outside his house. And be, when he gets home from work, he goes in. He listens to one album. He picks an album, listens to the A side, B side, and then he works on his music. He's doing. He's in the lab where no one sees that he's doing that. And so when he goes and plays out in Seattle or something. People are like, that dude is one of the best guitarists I've ever seen. It's because he's in the lab doing the work. Mm. And I think that when you're saying, when you're sitting down and you're editing and you're learning it, that's the that's the lab part of it, you know? That's the process, the painful process of creating. It's not always fun. It's yeah. like, it actually, if you're a creative person, there's times when you're throwing away everything you've written or crumbling up everything you drew or burning your sound mix in your film you know it's like you're destroying it because it's not doing it the you know the important part is to always try to push forward Mm -hmm. it's and a lot my friend john ford um who's making his first movie out in los angeles he was a student of mine but then he kind of became an in like a mentor because he was just above and beyond Mm -hmm. talented he said you got to allow yourself to do bad writing or bad drawings or bad films mm. or bad anything you gotta allow yourself that that's gonna happen mm. to be better and so with some of these projects that are like looming like the documentary or even yes. my, my movie chords or whatever it's um you know it's coming up like we know we're gonna go shoot at the blasting room with these bands it's not like it's like spur of the moment and then you kind of rekindle that energy mm. and usually it's like if it's music you'll listen to the band or you know talk like usually have meetings with kevin and we talk about different ways to shoot it or where we're going to go with it and and then you re get that resurgence of energy with chords it's more like my dad is a huge part of my motivation last conversation i had with my dad in person and explain what chords is just oh yeah chords is I, i made a movie i wrote and directed a movie called chords about an out like a this old outlaw country singer, her name is Sarah, um, is sick. So her son, Danny, who used to be in a punk rock band, is coming back to see her. But she dies before he gets there. She leaves him her old guitar and a song that he she wrote for him and his old punk rock buddy to play one last time. And it's kind of a homage to kind of me going back to Fort Collins about how I was just a bartender not even I was a bar back and then now I'm doing these movies and I shot it at that bar so there's a lot of meaning wow and two of my students Alex Boyd who's working on The Walking Dead flew out and my buddy Trent Walker who's like killing it in Atlanta he DP'd the shoot and they flew out my friend Ben Kaufman my buddy from Head High flew out on their own dime and everybody in Fort Collins worked on this movie and it's all original music and it's all I mean it was really cool and it was supposed to premiere in COVID but it's just it's it's just taken longer because of it but um you know i'll rem- my dad the reason i could get the energy up for chords because sometimes you're like ah, oh, it's just dead in the water mm. um last time i saw my dad 
in person. He's sitting on the corner of his bed in his motel. And I walked in. I was like, what's what's going on, man? Like, he was just broken. And he's like, you got to promise me you'll never live a complacent life. And then he, he like, looked at me. He's like, you don't promise me right now. <laughs> like, he kind of knew he was probably fading out in his life, you know, because he died a year later. But he told me that, like, I have to don't be complacent. So when I'm not working on chords or I feel that's that rings in my head like open it up all you have to do is open up a project mm-hmm. and just stare at it and do one or two things and then it'll probably lead to finishing it you know and I think a lot of people can't if they have an art studio or they have a you know an editing station or they're a writer it's it isn't the painting it's sitting down and getting started I think that's the hardest part because once yep. if you're an artist once you start it's all going to kind of flow out but you're battling all these like I mean I do I battle all these voices and the money shouldn't be working on this because you have to get this gig and but you have to take that time to like mm. do something for yourself you know and if it's not once a day it's got to be at least the minimum once a week where you work on your own personal stuff I yeah think. And just get started. Just find a way to start it. Yes. Because it'll, it'll like take it, it'll, it'll take control of you. Yes. So if you're drawing like your drawings here and you're just put up a blank piece of paper. Yes. And then it, you walk around it for two days. But the second you start drawing the eyes, I'm pretty sure you're going to, you won't be able to stop unless someone pulls you out of it. Yeah. Yes. So. And it's the rituals around it. Because it's like, I, I think about this a lot with how how does that there's a quote I love where it's like inspiration uh, you know when people wait for the inspiration to hit and it's like luckily inspiration hits every day at 10 a.m. or like whenever someone sits down in the chair whether there's activity or not it's you're you're still showing up for it like the characters might present themselves that day like you're describing and um, I think of the inhibitors for a creative person of like take the the charcoal artwork. It's like oh, I gotta cut the piece. I gotta have pick the shot that I'm inspired by. I have to set it up on the wall. I have to you know. There's certain steps, but I know that if I block out an evening and if I have some Bombay Sapphire, if I have a little bit of tonic water in my fridge, if I have a fresh lime, if I can make myself that gin and tonic, then that triggers a series of, oh, you can relax. Oh, you're resting into this. Oh, you know, here's this playlist that I can drop into. I use music a lot to help me drop into, uh, I call it a vibe, you know, or, or an aesthetic. And but it's making it the, the least amount of barriers as possible. Like I, you know, this is all uh, insulation board on that entire wall and there's not a TV that's permanently mounted because I wanted no excuses of making it as easy as possible to throw something on the wall and have all my art supplies just right there so that it's not like such an ordeal to take out the supplies and go into it and then think about this and where are those pins to put the paper on the wall like it's just it's there so it's that much of a barrier versus oh well i gotta get it every everything out and get rolling and i think that 
Yeah, it's those little rituals around it. It's yeah, just to get started, like what you're saying, and like live in your work. I think like mm-hmm. live and like make like what you're doing. Your whole house is like an art studio. Like, it that's is. That's what you should do. Yeah. You live. You live. You yeah. eat, Breathe and drink what you're doing. You just yeah. do it. You know, and you find a time to be creative. Like, uh, did you did you watch the David Lynch master class? I haven't watched it yet. If any, you if any, watch it. It's amazing because all he talks about is how to. He talks about movies, but he talks about how to find that creative time. Mm. And he takes three or four hours a day of just creative meditation. Mm. And he might not even do anything, but he's. Wait, I did listen to him. Yes. Yeah, he is. He is the best master class, I think, just because. I mean, like Ann Leibowitz is awesome because she shows you how to like photograph without using sunlight and listen to the Scorsese is awesome but like David Lynch really hit a spark with me because it's not about like it's about everybody it's not like mm-hmm. just about filmmaking yeah. or fo- photography it's like you could be a writer you could be a, a whatever. I mean you're like a bohemian you're like a artist drawer filmmaker I just make stuff I try to make stuff <laughs> you know <laughs> but um, th- it's more about finding the creative stuff in anything you do if you're a chef if you're a mm-hmm. you know if you're a whatever yeah i mean it doesn't even have to be an artist it could be an right. architect it could be an engineer it could yeah. be it's whatever medium you can derive meaning or pleasure or purpose something that matters to you if you can speak in that medium yeah that's your art yeah it's like um what is that? There's an Ezra Pound quote. It's like, uh, all great art is born of the metropolis. I don't, I still don't know what that means. I don't but the know way either, I, but I like it. I, I think what, it, it's whatever you're, it's not like it's all born in the city. I think what he's saying is like, whatever your metropolis is, is mm-hmm. where the great art comes from. Mm-hmm. So, if, Ooh. Your, if, if it's your father, if it's, if it's <sighs> nature, if it's flowers, if it's painting, you know, portraits or something. Yeah. That's your, that's where all the great art, and that's what you are drawn to, I think, mm. is like, that's when you start producing. Like, don't, for me, I know I can't draw. I could barely write anything that's, you know, I, I'm a, I'm not a great writer, but I'm a pretty good rewriter because I'll listen to people <laughs> because I just want it to be the best kind of when I'm writing a script or something. But find what you love and kind of, what Bukowski said, find what you love and let it kill you. And then the best advice I got was from Richard Weiss is find something you're not good at and then just don't do that. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Thank uh, you. Yes. I'm terrible at shooting reality television. Like camera on my shoulder and sitting there and watching Carl and Emma like build a fence and I'm just sitting there like with this. I can't do it. I'm mm. terrible at it. I go crazy. Yeah. And then I kind of self-destruct, and I just I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's nothing against people. I just can't. Right. I can't do it. I'm not good at it. Find what you're not good at, and not then good don't at do and it. Just don't do it. You yeah. know? I mean, I'm not good at that. How profound is I'm that? I'm not very good at cooking. Mm-hmm. At all. So just I mostly a, stick I, to hot dogs and tacos. That's all I need. Yeah. You know, I mean. That is the creative's diet. That, that's it's pretty good. You know, maybe some chips and salsa. Okay. I don't, I don't you know, just really stretching the yeah. boundaries. Um, okay, let's see. Closing thoughts of uh, tell me one ritual 
in your life personally, whether it's sitting down at a particular spot, if you have a moment, like some sort of thing that whenever you start to engage with it, it gets your creative mind. It, I think it's, because well, I mean, I have a writing degree and my poetry story was actually, but that's how I, I wrote a poem a day for six months and it didn't, I didn't really get anything until it was like 50. Um, I think how I get into it, it's gotta be, I'll put on a movie. So I got like a Amazon Prime inspirational movies that meant the most to me. And I'll throw one on, like Apocalypse Now or The Road Warrior or something, you know, like I have all these movies that kind of, I don't know if mm-hmm. it's the, the very, they're my favorite because they spark, they are the reason I'm doing this. And then I have like a <gasps> blank white piece of paper with like a Sharpie, like a, because I'm left-handed and no pen works. You left-handed? Yeah. So you know the pain. But And then I'll just start writing ideas while watching the movie and mm-hmm. having it play in the background and stuff. And then usually from that piece of paper, um, I'll be either write a movie or write something or be inspired like, oh, what about this? What about this? And then I'll get on the editing machine and do it. But usually it's an old movie and just a white piece of paper and a Sharpie. And I'm just working out ideas. It's a big mess. Cool. And that's it. And that's how I kind of try to get started, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, and I also ride the wave. Like if mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I feel like I could, feeling pretty like I could have all these ideas today. I'll, I'll that's what I'll do. I'll just shift and do that. Mm-hmm. So once that creative thing hits, I know that it's not gonna be all the time. Or I'm not gonna have the motivation to do it, so I just do it. Do you ever struggle with whenever you find that inspiration for, let's say, there's a project that you're amped on, but then you have some obligatory work that maybe it's a, a client work that there's a deadline coming up, but you don't feel the grace to do that at that time? Do you struggle with the guilt well, of totally. being like, ah? That's the hardest part about it. Is like, um if I'm working on something, I'm the client needs their project on Friday and I'm on Wednesday, I'm working on, on some project that doesn't. Directly. Any, yeah, uh-huh. I, I have to battle with that all the time. And what I try to do is just like, well, on, on Saturday you can work on this and then hopefully you can have that creative ride or whatever. So I, I try to get the work done as fast as I can so it doesn't linger, but sometimes yes. like, you shoot so much and then your editing pipeline fills up, you know, but yes, like, I mean, I think when I was doing the, the poem thing, I was forcing myself no matter what to write one a day and it could be at nine at night in the morning or whatever. I think that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was like, and that's, I guess, like, I think everyone should carry something around or even if it's on their phone and just have an hour of ideas and it could be like a drink on your patio or for me it was always at the bar you know I always got most of my inspiration sitting at the bar and just kind of watching people and observing and because mm. you know it's not it, you're having a drink and you're relaxing you know mm. I'm an only child I sit at the bar by myself whatever and I would just write on my phone or write on napkins like just ideas mm. and then see where they go and then knowing later that I'll either think about it or or it'll come up later. Mm. I mean, I've been working on like one idea for like five years, you know, but it's just like, it's that one in the back that I may never get done. But like when I'm 
I'll work on it when I when I feel like it. And I tr- I travel a lot, so I do a lot of that on the airplane. I'll, yes. I'll I'll write a lot, and it's not like I'm writing like I'm writing like all right, here's like bullet points almost or something. But I do feel I get that guilt. But I find time where I'm like I can't edit. I'm on an airplane. I can't edit. You can write here. I'm on a I'm at a bar or was at a bar before COVID. Like. You can do it here, you mm-hmm. know, and I'll just do that. That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to like force. Yes. Not force it, but like find the time to be creative, you know, like yes. it, it really is. It's like, what did, what did John Lennon say? Life is what gets in the way of your dreams. Was that him? Yeah. Know, life so. is what happens when you're like, busy making plans or whatever the, the yeah. variation is. Yeah. I think that, um, I loved what you said earlier on about being a student of your medium um of your format i don't even like to call it art because i feel like people would be like well i'm not i'm not an artist but you know it's like to live and breathe it and incorporate it and if you step away from it like the skateboarding what you were describing if you take a week off it might take two days to kind of get your muscle memory and everything dialed in again where you're at that level of efficiency um i just hearing another creative say that like I've always found I take my you know one of my MacBook Pros with me and an external hard drive even when I go like especially when I go on vacation because there's something I don't it's like oh I'm here to not work and yet it's like whenever I'm there then I'm like I want to get that done I want to build this I it's like the creativity so I don't like to it's like my little backpack I always work for you that's yeah it's it's that's what I think people misconstrue like what 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 we do and like if you're and this is I'm not ripping on any kind of cubicle job yeah from here on but it's just not for me sure but I don't I know a lot of there's people in Colorado like man you must be tired you know you're working all the time I'm like I don't I don't consider it work. I don't hate my job. Like I don't I'm not doing a nine to five. I'm not counting the clock down. Mm. Like going ooh oh can't wait it's almost six o'clock and happy hour Friday, and then hating Sundays because I got to go back to work yes. on Monday. I mean, it is yes. I'd work every single day if I could. Yeah. You know, and it, I'm not talking about like client base. I'm talking about just on anything. Mm. And I find I'm with you if I'm on vacation i need my laptop or something there because that's when i get that like well i mean i'm gonna work on i'll work but it's like the work i've wanted yes it's like soul work where you're like yeah let's knock this out or this has been on the back burner for so long (gasps) no pressure gonna dive into this and i think people sell themselves short a little bit of some of their creativity like my buddies the, the jordan and sam are they own Music City Hot Chicken. They're pretty creative guys, mm-hmm. but th- I don't know if they would consider themselves artists, even mm-hmm. though I would consider themselves in that in that same category. They created a restaurant. They creating a mm-hmm. full. Me- they created a thing that wasn't there. Yes. Like they, they and they created a lifestyle, and they're doing another restaurant in Denver, and they're creating a like mm-hmm. they are just as much of an artist as yes. like you are or yes anyone that's painting they're just it's just a different way of looking at it they might just say oh we're just restaurant owners but they like the menu the style like people are i think everyone's got kind of some kind of art in them yes i I mean i'm not saying it's like got to be like the four main 
you know, yeah. drawing, painting, sculpting, yeah. you know, whatever. It's creating, I mean, a restaurant is creating an experience for people to have, I mean, it's a platform. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so creative, mm. you know, I mean, it's... In so many different levels, too. You yeah. can think of the physical build-out, the culture, creating an ethos of a yeah. staff, like, the menu... I just think that people need to give themselves more credit that they are actually, um, that everyone is an artist or a creative in their own metropolis. How's that? Yeah. I mean? So it's like, whatever your line is, mm. you're a finance person or you're a, like, I mean, a builder. You're yeah. still, there's something that you're doing that is still you're approaching it a different way or there's something creative about it. And I think that, that that's what maybe if coming out of this whole pandemic, I do believe there's gonna be a huge creative spark and a huge technical move, move forward as far as like where we go is in technology and where we go is you're gonna see a lot of movies come out of this. Once those six, or seven movies that about the pandemic come out that it's like so tropey but like yeah. you're gonna see a big huge creative movement mm. because if you know if people could focus that kind of energy into their creative whatever it is it'll move society forward you know i mean you know there's a lot of people that say art is not important and you should be an accountant or something not ripping on them but think about what what the people are what's getting people through the pandemic is the mandalorian yeah <laughs> you know like i mean these tv shows oh and yeah like, you're you're getting through the pandemic because of creative people yeah and medical and the medical stuff but i mean like you're mentally yeah it's a it's entertaining and, and it's yeah it's, um, it's an escape yeah you know what i mean and i think that people are recognizing how important that stuff is, I think, mm. and that didn't maybe recognize it before, I think. I don't know. I hope that there's a huge creative moment. I think if I was gonna weave you with one last thought, it would be a quote. But it was a quote right after my dad died, I was walking downtown and it was on, I was just about to leave for London for Born to Explore, and it was on like this gate down on up, like King by the peninsula, like by where Bowles, Bull Bay Diner, Bulls Bay Diner was, or whatever. Oh place. yeah, you know, yeah. Bulls Bay Gourmet. Yes. Justin Croxwell, my buddy, owned that at one time, and he was at Stems now. But there's a sign, and it was this Mary Oliver quote, and it said, "Tell me what you will do with this one wild and precious life." Something yes. like that. That's yes. that is paraphrasing it, but it is mm. a full um, quote I saw on a wall, and I just remember that when I saw it. And you'll have to look up the quote, but that I remember thinking like, I can't dwell in like my dad um, being gone and without moving forward, you know? So, and I always remember that seeing that and being that being like a pinnacle of me moving forward. Mm. Tell me what is it you plan to do with this one wild and precious life? I think that's it. And yes. So, um, and, I think that people get caught up in their own kind of crazy headspace that they forget that it's their life. Mm. And if people are telling them like, oh, you should do this, you should do that, you could tell them to go fuck themselves. 
you know, because it's your life, not anyone else's. You mm. know? So I think that's like, don't worry about what people say about your stuff. Just do your thing and it'll all kind of work out because it's your life and nobody else's. Yes. I think. That's well, sort I, of that what that quote, I think, means to me if I could remember it, you know? Yes. So, I love that. I, I think that I learned, I had my own equivalent experience of that going through a divorce when I was 22 and all these different people throwing their judgment or opinion around yeah. what I should have, should do, shouldn't do, should have done, all of, shooting all over me. And I would put my head on the pillow at the end of the night and realize that at the end of it all, going to sleep, all of those people and their thoughts, they're not thinking about my life. They're thinking about their life and what they've got on their plate. And so as much as people like to cast judgments and tell you their two cents, ultimately it's what's within you and you go to sleep with your own actions and behaviors and decisions no one else and to always remember it is your life yeah kind of where you came from too you know mm. it's like that oh. like in rocky like when he's in the corner and like in rocky three and apollo creed looks at him and goes just remember where you came from when you're in the ring so don't like uh we had this thing in born to explore it was called the three h's Find something that makes you ha happy. Be hungry about it, and then always be humble <laughs> about what you. Because it could go away. But if you're some arrogant, you know, dickhead, no one's gonna, no one's gonna really pay attention to what you're doing or care. <laughs> you got to be humble. It's like what we talked about earlier about giving your art away, almost like giving <laughs> your secrets away. It's okay to give your secrets away because that, in a way, that's kind of being humble. They're teaching mm -hmm. it. And you got to be like that. You can't be cocky, you know? Yeah. And I think everyone has to keep themselves in check a little bit. Because mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you start doing really good work and your your ego kind of goes with that. You know, you got to mm -hmm. kind of stay even keeled on that. And that will inspire people. Don't hold secrets. And don't be afraid to take huge risks in your art and tell everyone to go fuck themselves. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You say, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. And you could say, <laughs> there's a quote by Ben Affleck when he was like on the set of Armageddon. Uh -huh. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but he goes, because I walked up to Michael Bay. I said, you know, wouldn't it be easier to train astronauts a dig? And Michael Bay said, go fuck yourself. And that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> and that's sort of, I mean, <laughs> metaphorically is that if you say that to someone, that's the end of it. Like, I think you should do this. Go fuck yourself. Then you're just like moving on. You know, it's like. <laughs> I think people should live by that more. You know, it's like no one is in control of you. Mm. Whoever you is, you mm. know. So, <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> folks, go fuck yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's it. John, this has been amazing. Yeah, thanks um, for letting me come over to your sweet studio. You know, so Jerry rigged. Um, how can people get in touch? Follow up with you. Um, follow yeah. all the things that you're up to. Sure. Um, johnbarnhart.com b-a-r-n-h-a-r-d-t and then um, you can follow me on Instagram at barnfly and then I might you can my email's on my website so okay. and all that you know, I mean if anyone would want to ask me questions I'll ask I'll answer any of them or try to so just reach out to me 
Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. I think you're doing amazing stuff too. And I really appreciate you having this sort of platform for people to talk about um, their creativity or Mm -hmm. inspire people because being here, it inspires me that I have to live up to all the lies I just told you. Yeah. (laughs) You just spouted off a bunch of bullshit. Now you got to walk out there and people are like, is he doing his art or what? I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for those of us um, listening or watching, um, reach out to John if you have any follow-up questions, comments, concerns. If you want to tell him to go fuck himself, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> just thank you so much for joining us. Yeah.